do you find it amazing just every day as you open up the word and you spend time in the word with the Lord? How he meets you right where you need to be in those moments um, in the day? And how much you just, with life, with death, with sickness, with the storms of life. In every one of those seasons of life, in every one of those situations you find in your life, good or challenging, do you ponder on the love that God has for you? Do you rest in the, his love for you? Because he loves you. He really does love you. Because as we go and see, we're going to find tonight, we're going to see the death of Moses. And in the final chapter of Deuteronomy, this man I had to ponder on, he, he was absolutely having to rely upon the love of God that he knows. The God that he knows. The God he's been following for 80 years through these three major seasons of his life. But especially this last 40 years of leading God's people through a wilderness experience. You think you have challenges. <laughs> if you ponder on all the challenges, the, your challenges in many respects are very minor for many of us compared to what Moses had to go through in 40 years. Can you imagine a leader watching millions of people that you were leading die in the wilderness? One by one, two by two, many by the hundreds but you don't even ponder on that but there are hundreds dying at a time through those that wilderness experience because of the rebellion how traumatic how, how difficult that must have been and then watching a whole other generation rise up and and you're preparing them for this this moment of going into the promised land and you're just keep following God and following God. And it wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect and but God was continued to work in and through him and but there was a time where he was he just so misrepresented God. He just so was un, his unbelief and his just rebellion and and it cost him. But that didn't change his love for God. It did not change the fact that God still loved him. And we will see here tonight that it's a grace of God. He, God didn't have to show him the promised land. And even more, as we, will, as we know and understand, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, uh, uh, it was just, Moses, not now. You're not going to the promised land now. But I'm going to have it even better for you. You're going to be with me on the Mount of Transfiguration after the finished work that you've been hearing about your whole life of the Messiah. I mean, really think about that. God, please, can, we, can, can I really have this? Can I really do this? Can I please? I've been just serving you. Can I just, I wanted to go to the promise. I want to go, yeah, I want to be able to do this. And he says, no. But it was not a complete, flat out no. Just not yet. I have something even better for you. It's going to be even better. From my perspective, Moses really just, he had no idea what God had in store for him to bring him back to life on the Mount of Transfiguration. Amazing when you think about it. That's God's grace. It's God's love for this man that God loved and used in such a beautiful way. But in the final chapter here, the imminent death of Moses is, is the repeating theme that we've been seeing through these closing chapters from chapter 31 to 34. It's been repeated. Like, okay, did he die now? Oh, no, no, it's the next chapter. Did he die now? It's finally, we're at chapter 34. Guess what? He's dead tonight. He's, he's finally going to die at the, on the Mount uh, of Nebo, and we're going to see that. But Moses knew it was coming. He was counting the hours. It was an appointed time. We see that all of us have appointed time. The day we will be born and the day we will die. It's an appointed time. We see that in Hebrews 9.27. It's not an accident. Oh, he died when it was an accident. Maybe the circumstances was an accident, but it was an appointed time by God. 
That's why we have the rest assurance of how, when, and when we die. It is an appointed God, a time that God has already ordained. But here in chapter 34, verse 1, we see, we start off by this vision, right, that God is going to give to Moses to see and to, to just literally physically with his eyes see the promised land. And then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. Now, keep in mind, as you can picture in your mind's eye, the the map of of, uh, Israel, and you know you can picture Israel, and it kind of looks like a New Jersey, kind of a a north-south, the size of New Jersey, if you even picture New Jersey for most of us. You probably don't want to picture New Jersey. I don't know why. But just think about the size. It's it's north and south. If you're you're a California person, think of the same thing, but much smaller and flip it over. You know, it's that kind of moment. But in the middle, if you remember, you have the Mount, the Sea of Galilee toward the top, and you always see them on your map in your Bible, this big, huge water stream, which is not that big if you've ever been in Israel. Uh, this, the, 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 the Jordan is not that crazy. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you think it's beautiful, lush, and it's, it's just not a pretty sight to see this. The, the, the. But then it leads to what? The Dead Sea. And you can kind of visualize it. But remember, Jordan is on the right-hand side for the most part, if you get some distance. And the rest of Israel, and you've heard about the West Bank, and you've heard all these things. But picture Israel in your mind. You have the Sea of Galilee, you have the, the, the Jordan coming down, connecting to Dead Sea. And they're on the east side of that nation of, that, uh, nation of Israel. They're on the east side of that river, of the Jordan River. They're sitting in this place called Moab area, and and they're going up to this top of one of these mountains of of Nebo, and it's this top of Pisgah, which is probably a mountain range there, and right across on the northern part, just north of the the Dead Sea, on the left-hand side, there's a little place called Jericho. And that's where they're located. Remember, they're coming out of the desert from the, from the south, from Egypt, coming through under the south, coming up the right, the east side of the Jordan River, the east side of the, the Dead Sea, coming up, and they're planted right there in that little area. And the Lord showed Moses all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, which is really interesting. If you looked at one of your maps of how the land was distributed out when we studied that, of where on the map each of the, of the tribes had, remember the tribe of Dan was more to the, just to the west of, of Jerusalem, over closer to the Mediterranean, going that direction. And then Dan wasn't happy with it. They actually planted themselves further north, the northern part of the uh, nation of Israel. And even at that point, I'm pondering on that, and I'm like, okay, he's saying, look at as far as Dan, or the very farthest point, and then look counterclockwise around, and you'll see, you'll go from Dan to all of Naphtali, to the land of Ephraim, to Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea. The Western Sea is the Mediterranean Sea. It's another name for that. Verse 3, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees. Now, when we went over to near the Dead Sea and out of Masada and all those in the southern part, it was filled with palm trees. It was just a beautiful thing. But as far as Zorah, and Zorah, it more than likely is what they consider is the southern tip of the Dead Sea. So you're standing there as Moses, you're on this mountaintop experience. God is right there with you and then speaks and shows you and says, there, where I said Dan's going to be placed, all the way around. Can you see? Now look being around to the 180 degree, there's all the way to the very side. That is the promise. It must have been a clear, beautiful Sky so crystal clear that you could see, because normally you couldn't see all the way to the Mediterranean. It would be that far enough where you may not be able to see, but it must have been a, just as clear as can be to be able to, to understand the vastness of the promised land that God was saying that his people were going to experience and to occupy. 
But as Israel camped out in the plains of Moab, and Moab and the, the area right there was just north, I would say north or right to the east side of the Dead Sea. They were camped out in that whole area right there. And as Mo, Moses climbs to Mount Nebo, and he could see as far as could be, even all the way to the Mediterranean. But this is right here, the Lord said, the Lord showed him all the land. Again, it's God's grace. It's God's sweet grace to Moses because he didn't have to show Moses anything. He could have just said, no, not only are you not going in there, you're not going to see it. You're not going to experience it at all because of what you did. But though he could not set foot on the promised land, on the land itself, God allowed him to see it standing at the peak of Nebo. All these mountain collections of Pisgah right there. He's standing there, what we would refer to as the modern day of Jordan is where he was standing and looking across. Now this place called Zoar, you can see the reference in Genesis 14 too. And Genesis 19, 22, and 23. And that's why I get, when I read that, I see that the southern tip of the Dead Sea is where Zoar would be the end of where he was describing of the land that they would occupy. Now, in verse 4, we see God's last words to Moses. And those key words are what? This is the land. Right here in verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore an oath, right? Give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Again, he, he makes a clear statement. That, I'm going to let you show it, but don't ask me again. You know, you're just not going in there, Moses. You're not going to set foot right now in there. And so when you see that, that he is saying, I am a faithful God. Even with what you did as a leader did not play out the way you wanted to play out. The people did not play it out the way they should have played it out. They both should have been obedient. They should have been immediate obedience. They should have been committed to him. But neither one of them were faithful during their journey. But even with that, God still was going to go through what God promised. And that promise was what? I swear an oath to your Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that your descendants will occupy the promised land. That is my, that's my deal. This is what I'm telling you is going to happen. And whatever God says he's going to do, it's going to happen. His word will always be faithful. Always. He will always. That's why we live on the promises of God. How do you know those promises of God? Well, you need to read the Word of God and let God, the Holy Spirit, speak to you using the Word of God to give you those promises that you live on so when things are not going well and the world goes crazy around us and your life is personally growing crazy, what do you have your foundation upon? It should be based on the love of God and His promises to you as a child of God. And if you're not pondering on those, you're going to be very weak in your walk with God. You'll be very vulnerable to the enemy. We must rest in his love and his promises that he shows us in his word, and we must know them. Because we see here this, this is the land. It's a present tense where this it is written here, where spoken to Moses at the summit of Mount Nebo, as he looked westward and saw the promised land. We see how they were just showing this, how this, all this land that they're going to acquire, and who was going to acquire it, your descendants. Because God said it was going to happen. And you shouldn't forget what God says in his word is going to happen, because it's going to happen. We don't always know his timing. We don't always know how it's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen. Like when he comes and returns for his bride, it's going to happen. 
He's not going to change his mind and say, nah, I don't feel like going to get, him, get my bride. No, I'm not going to take him to heaven. No, I'm not going to. He's not going to change his mind. He's as a promise and as a guarantee. It's only when. I don't know about you, you should be extremely excited. The fact that God loves you so much, he's given us a promise that he will fulfill. Hello? Because that's true. And that's what we must ponder on during the difficult times in life. Moses was allowed to take the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob right up to the line. Right up to the border. <laughs> and his passport was taken and said, no, you can't cross the border. But the rest of the people will. But I was going to let you see it with your eyes. What a bittersweet moment. Moses Moses could see it he'd been feeling it in his heart his whole life he had probably thought and pondered on the fact okay I'm going to get one more day I'm going to live for God I'm going to lead these crazy people <laughs> and I'm going to help them I'm going to lead them as God is telling me to do is keep doing this regardless of how I feel I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to lead them to the promised land because I want to see the promised land I know this is what God's called me to do I know this is my ministry this is what my calling is. I know without a question that this is what God has called me to do. And Moses is spawning around every day to get up and say, I'm going to go back out and go and lead these rebellious people, these hard-hearted people, these people who are criticized me and bit me and try to take me out. Even my inner circle, my sister, my brother, try to take me out of leadership. All of those things that Moses experienced. Every bit of it that most people in ministry experience. But that didn't change his love for God. And that didn't ever change the fact that he knew God loves him. Even when God said, no, you're not going into the promised land, it did not change his knowing that God loves him and he knows what's best, even though inside it was tore him up. Because he didn't get to go into the promised land. And God made it clear why. There was no question and he knew why. But there's no doubt there was a great sadness in his heart. Knowing that it was his own sin of unbelief. That it was his failed moment to glorify God. His own misrepresentation of God that we see in Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. Which led to him not being able to set foot into the promised land. Here he stood, so close, but so far away. Now Moses did arrive on the promised land like I mentioned. He arrived in the promised land centuries later with Jesus and Elijah. We see that on Mount Transfiguration. You can see those two notes in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. But also one I think you should read again in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 31. And the reason is, as many people don't realize, they weren't just standing there watching. But we see in Luke 9 account, Moses even talked with the Lord Jesus about his decease, his exodus, his moment of what he accomplished on the cross in Jerusalem, and he got to experience that firsthand with the Lord. What a beautiful moment for him. What sense of accomplishment mixed with great disappointment must have been in the mind and the heart of Moses. Can't even fathom it. Moses' mind must have been squirrely as he looked over the land that the Lord had promised to Israel and he didn't get to go in. 
Look out over the vast um, panorama view. Can you imagine if he had a, 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 a phone today and went, look at this. This is, this is, oh man, this is going to be really cool. The camera doesn't do it justice. Moses saw the end of his life ministry all in one moment at that mountain mountaintop experience Moses literally saw the end result of his life's work all right there in front of him and it started 80 years prior remember the first 40 years being raised as a prince in the in Egypt in the just luxury. Then 40 years as shepherd in the high desert area remote and just literally just being a servant and just a shepherd and just being retrained. And then 40 years of leading his people out of Egypt so miraculously. I mean, all of that leads right up, leading the children of Israel into the promised land and then heard God say as clearly as had ever heard God speak, those are the words, this is the land. Wow. After all these years, amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, a key word here in verse 5. So, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the word of the Lord, and he, capital H, God himself, buried him. Key with thing. God himself buried Moses. How? I don't know. But he says right here in the scripture, very clearly, he buried him. In the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Fascinating, is it not? Where else in the scripture do we see that God has buried someone and nowhere can anyone know where he was buried? Verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. That man has spike or um, spunk. He was just, he was vibrant. He climbed a mountain. So he wasn't dying because he was an old man. He could barely see. And I don't know why I'm up here. I can't see what you're going to show me, God, because I can't see any further than I'll pass my nose. He was 120 and could see with no problems. He did not have cataracts. No glaucoma setting in. No lenses wearing out where he wished he had glasses. He could see clearly what God was showing him and the fact that he could have no problem. He had energy. He could, and it wasn't slowing him down at all. But Moses died. God took his life at that moment, at an appointed time that God had already warned Moses exactly when it was going to take place. Now the question again, what would you do if God said to you, Here's the time when you're going to die. I'm going to take your life. I'm going to, I know exactly where it is, and it's going to be a while, but this is what I need you to do. I'm going to need you to write a song so that the people can listen to the song over and over and over, all the way from generation after generation, to remind them of what I've done and what they need to do. Oh, before that, besides writing a song, I need you to go and say one more time what they're going to do. Oh, by, by the way, I got one more thing for you to do. Yes, it's coming. I'm going to get you up to the top of the mountain. And you're going to die. I'm going to take your life after I show you the promised land that you never get to see or touch. I shouldn't say see. To touch, to set your foot on. And we know clearly that Moses died in faith. Why? Because he did exactly what God wanted him to do right up to his last breath. He was obedient and did what God wanted him to do. Now, would you do that? Would you do a list of things for God after he just told you you're going to die on a such and such day, on a such and such place? Or would you just sit there and go, I'm going to go do my own thing? 
I got places to go, people to see, and life to live, even though it's only going to be hours or a day away. Or would you live by faith right up to your last breath? Well, that's exactly what we should do, is to live right up to, to a, by faith right up to the last breath. We shouldn't change course. The death of God's saints is a very precious to him. This is not something he says, okay, I've got an appointed time and it doesn't really matter to me and it's no big deal. You know, I gave you life, I take life, no big deal. You're one of many of millions. No, no, no. We see in the scripture in Psalm 116.15, the death of God's saints is very precious to him. And therefore, he'll not permit it to happen by some just random accident. Unless the believer is rebelling against his will, it's not an accident. Because the days that God has given you and I is ordained for us. It is written down. We see that in Psalm 139.16. It is written down. This is not some random thing that God's doing. And we can't live beyond that date. We can by our foolishness and sin hasten our own death. That we see in the scripture. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, how, what was at the end of your life? What are they going to put on your tombstone? What are they going to talk to you, people about? What are they going to even, when they mention your name, what is it the next few words are going to be used to describe who you were? Is it just going to be two dates with a little dash in between? Is that all it is? It never is just a dash if you're living for God because there's so many great things that you can, God can do through your life <clears throat> that people will talk about you for years to come. Especially within your family. Think about Moses' life. Moses, the prince of Egypt. Ooh, he was a prince. Look at that. Read the, read the brochure as you were sitting there, and oh, look at he was a prince. Look at what years was that? Oh, he was a murderer. <laughs> when did that slip into his little life? He went from prince to murderer, and he just and he became the lowest of all lowest. He became a shepherd for how many years? Forty years. And then how did he go from becoming a shepherd, become the spokesperson of the nation of Israel? How did that happen? We've seen a few miracle worker kind of moments there. How did God use and work through this man to do those miracles and overtake the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh? That's amazing. Was that on his, his brochure of his memories? We see in the scripture, and we see here in tonight, that he was a prophet as well. We see that, that this man saw the peace of God's glory that most, if very few at all, have ever seen as his glory passed by him. That he had such an intimacy with God that he could saw his glory. But then at the very end, a man who never got to enter the promised land, after all that he did for God. But look at his final words as they describe him, as Moses is, is really J Joshua finishing this, right? This, this end of this, this letter here. Moses, the servant of the Lord. That was his great identifier for his life. He was a servant of the Lord. None of those other th things that he's done, it didn't matter. It was the servant of the Lord. A faithful servant of the Lord. 
That's what he is known for. This should be enough for us as well. We often say it sounds humble to say it. Oh, I'm just a servant of the Lord. That is an incredible title. That you're a faithful servant of the Lord and that you think is no big deal. That is a huge deal. It's the same identification of Moses. servant of the Lord. What do you do for the Lord? I'm a servant of the Lord. But there's one thing to just so sound so humbly to say it. Oh, I'm just the servant of the Lord, you know. But the question is, is and what's more difficult is, are you living it? Does your life literally reflect the fact that you're a servant of the Lord? And to be simply satisfied with the servant of the Lord is a precious thing indeed. I mean, it's the happiest of all positions or seasons of one's life is to continue to faithfully be a servant of the Lord. Right to death. Right to the rapture. Because the master is glorified through it all, and the servants are greatly satisfied when we just serve the Lord. If one is truly a servant of the Lord, it can be demonstrated by a simple test. You want to know who is a servant of the Lord? You know what the simple test is? By how they react to someone and how they treat them as a servant. Oh, many people are, oh, I love being a servant of the Lord because I I get to do exactly what I want to do. Oh, it's just a great thing to be a servant of the Lord. I get to do exactly what I want to do in ministry and however I want to do it and wherever I want to do it. I get to create my own little circumstances and, and get to pick and choose and how I'm going to serve the Lord. Oh, I love being a servant of the Lord. But let me, let me tell you, that does not describe you as a servant of the Lord. It's not the test. The test is when you are asked to do something that goes against. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It will test you. You, have, you just, I want to serve you, Lord. And the Lord says, go clean the toilets. Yes. And there is no recognition. There is no praise. There is no one even knows you did it. But you're filled with joy to be a servant of the Lord. It's when you're sitting and you find yourself doing whatever the Lord wants you to do, regardless if someone knows or doesn't know, or if, you, if it's glorifying or not glorifying, if it's in good and easy circumstances and timing and everything works out, if I can fit it in and if it's perfect and it's okay, you know, that's, you know, an hour, you know, that's a lot too long for me, but I can give you 30 minutes maybe. And then, oh man, you really want to test and know if you're a servant of the Lord? There's no. There, there, you're just freely just whatever it takes, Lord. You just, I'm, I'm open. I'm willing. And that's what Moses was. A servant of the Lord all the way to the very end here. And Moses died just as God promised. The promises of God are sure. Those promises that we love to grab a hold of and say, yes, that's a promise. I love it. It's really exciting. But a promise can also be say, I know you're going you're gonna to die in this day. That's still a promise of God. And this, sure enough, it was a promise, and God said it was going to happen, and it happened in his life, including the most severe promises like death. It happens according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord said to Moses, you're going to die on Mount Nebo. And then he took, God himself buried him in a valley. Note, the Lord buried the Moses. 
I mean, think about this. If you just ponder on that, the Lord buried the body of Moses. That's very complicated if you really think about it. Some people say, you know, you'll read some people who say, oh, they just, the way the wording is, the people took them and buried them. No, read the rest of the scripture. No one knows where he's buried. Well, the angels must have come. We don't know that because it wasn't given to us. All we know is God himself buried Moses. And I trust what the word says. God is all powerful. If he wants to transport a body from point A to point B and bury that body, he can do it. And he needs no one else to help him to do it. So when he says he buried the body, he buried the body. And he buried him in the valley right there where he was at. And I find this interesting is why did he not have his people do it? Why didn't he have his angels to do it? Because his body was in contentions with the devil himself. How do we know that? And Jude 9 speaks of an occasion when Michael, the archangel, is contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. So apparently there was this, this contention over the body of Moses. And according to Jude, Michael, the archangel, won the contest as he appealed to the Lord's authority. And he says to them there, the Lord rebuke you. God, Michael used God's, he said, the Lord rebuke you and pushed back the devil but the question is, why was Michael contending over the, the body of Moses against the devil? Well, as we read the scripture, because the scripture supports us, is the best commentary of the scripture. Because what would be the purpose of, God's, of Moses' body? That Satan wanted it so bad that he was willing to fight Mark, Michael the archangel. Well, as we see the scriptures, if you look up there, you find that Moses appeared with Elijah, whose body was caught up to heaven. Remember Elijah? He was caught up. He was raptured out in 2 Kings chapter 2. And these two people, these two men, these two people, were come back to, to meet with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. We see that in Matthew 17, 1 through 3. But then I take it to the next level and say, perhaps, perhaps Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses that will be used in Revelation chapter 11 to witness to the world in the, the tribulation times. So why would the devil want to take and get rid of Moses' body? Well, I see it in two things. One is the use of what God is going to do with Moses in Revelation 11. But I also think, and I ponder on the fact that apparently it could be that if the devil could have gotten the body, he could then somehow become an idol to the people and to memorialize and to idol the body of Moses in his grave so people would be putting and focusing on him and not of God. Apparently, God had a purpose to fulfill with the body of Moses before the time of general resurrection. So God himself made special provisions to bury the body of Moses himself. Again, the scripture tells us no one knows where the body is. Now, Moses' life was neatly divided, as we speak, spoke about in those 80s, those 40 years in Egypt, to 40 as a prince, 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness, 40 years leading the children of Israel to their destination of the promised land, 80 years of preparation for the last one-third of his life. And Moses willing to get God prepared for I mean, this is really amazing. 
Because sometimes we get very uptight when things are not moving along the way we want them and how we want them. I think this is good enough, God. I think I'm prepared. It's only been a month since I've been saved, a month there. I know I'm supposed to be, I'm called to go out there and start a church somewhere. Or I got saved, Lord, I've been doing this for a long time. I know that I should be able to go do these things. And I mean, you, so many times we're trying to tell God what we're going to do and others what we're going to do versus letting God do the work and leading you. And there will be a time of preparation, a time of testing, a time of refinement. Do you think Moses wanted 40 years as a shepherd? Do you think he wanted 40 years in the wilderness? All these things came together to refine a man who turned out to be a beautiful example of a faithful servant of God. And it pleased God, even with all the challenges. And yes, the consequences of his sin did cause him. But again, God's grace and his mercy and his love for him, he brought him on the Mount Transfiguration. As great as Moses was, the days of mourning for him, we see here in the scriptures, we see that he was for 30 days. And the children of Israel, in verse 8, wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Do you know in Genesis chapter 50, verse 10, it was only to be seven days. But they mourned for him for 30 days. And at that moment, at this time, it's that torch is passed. The change of command has happened completely. God's work goes on through another man's life named Joshua, as God's designed. A younger man to continue the work that God wants to do with his people. Now, in verse 9, we see the legacy. Joshua's leadership in Israel, the legacy of Moses. We see the transformation here, these last few verses. And verse 9, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses' prayer was what? Was answered, right? That Joshua would be raised up. He laid hands on him. He was filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to do what God's called him to do, to lead his people through into the promised land, to battle the enemies. And he was full of wisdom to do exactly what God was preparing him to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Supernatural skill of leading God's people was given by God into Joshua by the laying of the hands of, of ordaining, as per se, the ordaining of Joshua into the position of leadership. And it says here that the children of Israel heeded or paid attention to Joshua. They paid attention. Okay, you're the new leader. Okay, I got that. But the question is, the real test of leadership is to see if people actually will follow you. If you've ever been in the military, you understand this concept. You sit there and you pay attention. Okay, I heed the fact that, okay, change of command. You're the new, you're the new leader. You're the new commander. Okay, I got that. You're the new superintendent. You're the new the E9, the, you know, the command sergeant major, whatever. I see. I, I, I see that. But the question now is, will they be able to lead? Will you be willing to follow that man or that woman? In the military, that could be a man or a woman. But here, a man. Can you follow that man? Joshua. That's the real test. And we will see that as we study the book of Joshua. In verses 10 we see, But since then there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants in all, in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. 
Israel. Since then, there has not risen an Israel prophet like Moses. Most people don't remember that Moses was a prophet. But we see Joshua coming on the scene. We see the fact that he is capable because God has equipped him and empowered him and with the Holy Spirit to do the work that God's called him to do. Because God's work must continue. God's work is never dependent upon one man. And when God says, okay, I'm done with that man, I'm bringing the next one in to continue my work, it's his work that he's doing in his people. It's his work. It's his people. But that did not diminish Moses' unique or distinctive legacy. What did we see here? He was a prophet like no other. He knew the Lord face to face. Moses had this unique, because he has a personal intimacy with God as a friend. The term face to face does not mean a physical face to face. It's not a literal meaning of face to face, but it means that he was this idea of free, unhindered communication from God to him, him to God. There was no hindrance whatsoever. Moses has this intimate relationship with God Almighty. And nothing was hindering that communication in his life. The second thing is all the signs and wonders what the Lord sent him to do. Moses was so unique in the fact that the number, the kind of miraculous works and miracles that God was doing in and through his life was such a witness of God's glory in his life. That his power that God gave him brought great terror even to the most ruthless of pharaohs. Ruthless of the Egyptians that wanted to kill all of his, God's people. That God empowered him to continue to bring him through a long time. Forty years is a long time. Through unique situations and territories and, and all kinds of factors in life. The weather, the place, the locations. Places they didn't even know where they were going. And leading million, a couple of million people. You don't think that's easy? To lead a couple of million people? Across a place you don't even know and you have no food, no water, no nothing, except as God provided miraculously? Would you do that leadership uh, position? Would you sign up? Please sign I want to sign up. I want to be in that position. Of course you wouldn't. Do you think even Moses, I think, at times, would he have done it if he knew what he had to endure for 40 years? Most people wouldn't do what Moses did. Or be in any leadership position if they knew exactly what they would have to endure. That's why, by the grace of God, he doesn't show you all those things. You hear about those things, you just hope it never happens to you. But God's going to bring you through those things. But we see that he was empowered and it brought great terror of the authority that he had in leading the nation of Israel for God. Because he had a specific role. He literally introduced an era of history in God's people called the age of the law. Do you know that? He literally brought in the age of the law. He even had the, the blessing to write down the law. And preserve the law. And since then there was not one that had risen in Israel like the prophet of Moses. If you st as we studied through, there were greater, per se, rulers over Israel than Moses. There were some really great leaders that we see in, and through the scriptures that we see, and great prophets, greater prophets, greater priests than him. But those all was just steps to the greatness of when the Messiah Jesus Christ came. It was all leading up to the Messiah. And there was never will be another man like the Messiah. Jesus Christ. And he was perfect 
See, the book ends here on a prophetic note, looking forward to the day when another Moses would be given to Israel. That final day where the Lord Jesus Christ came as a servant of all. Moses was a servant of the Lord, but Jesus was the servant. He was also the very son of God. And that surpasses even Moses. How do we know that? It's see that in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That's very clear that he surpasses even Moses. Why? Because Jesus came to lead us into the new era, the age of his grace. Moses brought us through into the age of the law, but Jesus brought us into the era of the age of his grace. And the Israelite rebelled for centuries by rejecting that glorious offer. But remember, God said to Moses, write a song of Moses. Write a song, Moses. And instill the points going forward for the days when you die until the Messiah comes, that they will sing this song and accept what God will heal and avenge his people ultimately as he promised. Yes, bring him into the promised land. But as we are excited about the promised land is heaven for us, is it not? The age of his grace absent from his body, will be in the presence of the Lord. And where is your Lord? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father that intercedes for you and I daily. Why? Because God loves you. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for bringing us, Lord, through the book of Deuteronomy. And as we finish this beautiful letter from you to us through this man Moses that one day we will meet and that you have used in a mighty way in your people's lives and but as we see more than likely we'll see we will use him probably even in the end times what a beautiful thing we thank you praise you for your grace and your mercy and your love upon us Lord may we leave this night just falling deeper in love, that intimacy that Moses had with you. May we have that intimacy with you in our time of just communing with you and growing our relationship with you. And may we be servants of the Lord in every day, of rest of our days here on this earth and into the new, new kingdom. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen.